Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, as the Conservative leadership race wages on, are candidates talking about issues that matter to Conservative Canadians? Certainly not at last week's debate in Edmonton. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North, a rare Monday edition of the program on Monday, May 16th, 2022. Last week was a little wonky, as I mentioned, and as you may have heard, I was in Edmonton covering the Conservative Party of Canada's leadership debate, the first official debate, official debate, because they the party itself put it on, and they didn't put on the one at the Canada Strong and Free Conference that Candace Milcom and Jamil Giovanni moderated. But I, I must say, if that was official, I far prefer unofficial, because the unofficial debate didn't have questions about what books you're reading, what historical figure you'd like to have dinner with, what Netflix show you liked, or what other streaming program you're binge-watching. And so much so that I'm like, I'm wondering if that's just going to be what electoral platforms are now. You open the page, uh, you open the book, there's like a one-page thing on uh, balanced budgets, taxes, and then the rest of it is just your reviews of all the movies, books, and podcasts, and all of that that you're encountering. Now, to be fair, I don't know if Tom Clark came up with the format or if the party said, hey, Tom, we'd like you to moderate the debate. Here's the format. And for whatever reason, he didn't just throw it out and, and walk out the room right there. I don't know what happened, but I do know that it was a, a profound humiliation. Questions on complex policies reduced to 15 seconds. Uh, waste of time questions to get to know your candidates that don't actually tell you anything of substance about them. And by the end of it, you have uh, these paddles that you have to put up. The, I don't know if you saw this, but the candidates have to put up their paddles if they want to respond to something, and if they run out of paddling, then even if a candidate directly attacks them, they don't get to respond because, oh, well, you've used up your four paddles. Like it was watching it was just absolutely absurd. So I was looking forward to the scrums afterwards because at the scrums, at least there was an opportunity for candidates to give a direct response to a direct question that wasn't about <laughs> what they're watching on TV. I know I keep going back to that, but let's be real here. This is not a debate. And this is, as I've always said, not what Conservative Party of Canada members care about when they're deciding who to vote for to be their leader and eventually to become, they hope, the next prime minister. So I am going to be talking a lot about what's been happening in the conservative leadership race the last couple of weeks. You may remember I was at the Canada Strong and Free Conference a couple of weeks back and did some interviews there, including one with conservative leadership candidate Scott Aitchison that I'll share later on in the program. But I first want to talk about some of the themes that emerged from the debate in Edmonton that I thought were quite interesting. And one of them was Leslin Lewis. Now, Leslin Lewis is quite an interesting one because I think on paper she does what a lot of people in our audience want her to do. She takes aim at global institutions that she feels Canada is giving up its sovereignty to. She is unafraid to talk about social issues. Uh, she's been very poised and polished in a lot of things she's done. I didn't feel the debate performance was her strongest and, and I don't know what it was. Maybe she was nervous. Maybe she just felt underprepared. Maybe uh, the campaign's just not going as well for her so it's just a bit of a different space that she has to occupy. But I was looking and I, and I just wasn't getting the clarity and fire that you get from her tweets and you get from, from some interviews with her. And even afterwards, I asked a couple of questions of her that I thought certainly the first one 
would be a slam dunk. I thought this was an easy one that she could come out. I wasn't trying to give her a softball, but I thought it was one that was in her wheelhouse so she'd be able to give a, a really clear, concise, and, and direct answer. And I'm not sure she did. Good evening, Andrew Lawton, True North. Earlier today, the Correctional Service of Canada uh, confirmed its policy that uh, biologically male inmates uh, can be reassigned to women's prisons based on preference alone. So I wondering what you think about that policy and if you would reverse that as Prime Minister. Well, I think it's very important that people, whatever their gender, has a certain level of comfort um, in certain situations. I also think that there are situations where biological females may feel um, a sense of vulnerability uh, because of the situations that they may have been in, for example, if they were um, sexually assaulted by a male, etc. And so we have to make sure that we find compassionate ways to accommodate uh, the diversity of, of uh, individuals that will find themselves in a facility, um, whether it is a shelter or whether it is a correctional facility. So in fairness to Leslin Lewis, she is saying there that, yeah, there are some areas where women are going to be, because of their own experiences and identity, more vulnerable. We need to be respectful and, and that. But, but ultimately, it wasn't just a, a direct answer to the question in the sense of, of what I think other people, what I think ordinary people care about. I mean, I just wrote a column about this that's going to be coming out in the interim next month in which I said, you know, the reality of this issue is that it's like the emperor's new clothes in that most people view it the same way, but are just so afraid of saying it. And in the end, it it sort of makes it look like this is more controversial and more contentious than it actually is. Same as trans athletes in sports. But in this case, we're talking about something that's directly under the government's control, which is uh, transgender identification in prisons and being able to just on a whim say, oh, you know, I'd actually like to be in a women's prison today. And I mean, again, if you read the policy, there's no saying they couldn't just switch back and forth on a day by day basis, say, oh, you know, I I hear they're serving lasagna in the men's prison. I'm a a man today. And then, uh, oh, you know, I I don't actually know uh, women. uh, I want to be on the women's side today. Who knows what's going on there? So that's going to be something here. But again, it's possible to talk about these things that matter and should matter. And we should be embracing debates that have these things. We should be embracing debates that talk about the issues that matter to conservatives. And uh, Candace and Jamil did a great job of this. I don't think Tom Clark did. Now, how much control he had over the questions, I don't know. But if I were looking at that as a member of the Conservative Party of Canada wanting to know which leadership candidate to vote for, I would be coming out of this saying, like, I, okay, I, well, Patrick Brown likes the show Ozark. And uh, Pierre Polyev is reading Jordan Peterson's book. And Leslin Lewis wants to have dinner with William Wilberforce. Um, okay, so my taxes are going to go up, down. CBC is getting funded, defunded. My firearms license is like, you, you get nothing from that. And, and then you take the opportunity the opportunity that these candidates have to talk about conservative issues when once they are the leader, 
The mainstream media will give them no such opportunity. So if you don't allow them and force them to talk about things that matter to conservatives now, you're never going to hear them talk about these things. And I will say Roman Babber did a, a tremendous job. He was very polished. He had answers. And when I asked him a, a question in the scrum after, he seemed to genuinely approach it with a level of thoughtfulness. Now, he, he was couching. He was couching what he was saying in a little bit. But I, I don't know if that was genuinely because he didn't want to commit to something on the fly that he wasn't sure if he would be able to follow through on. Take a look at that exchange. Good evening, Andrew Lawton, True North. You've been unequivocally against vaccine mandates. That obviously includes mandates for public sector workers. If you were prime minister, would you rehire anyone who was fired because of vaccine mandates? And if so, would you give them retroactive pay for time they missed? Uh, so 100% I would mandate, I, I try to pass similar legislation in Ontario, the Jobs and Jabs Act, that would retroactively protect workers. Uh, we have to think about how we're going to go about that. We certainly want to try and put them in the position that they would have otherwise been. I'm not sure if we're going to do that through EI. I'm also not sure how we're going to go about that when it comes to those that are not unionized. Those that are unionized should be a lot easier. Those that are not unionized, going to have to give that some thought. But I think that it's inhumane to make someone choose between their ability to put food on the table and their personal health care choice. We've got to do right by all Canadians. Now, that's an important issue and one that I haven't heard a lot of candidates talking about, which is why I, I mean, I'm being a bit gratuitous here, but why I asked it. Okay, you're against mandates. You think these people should be back to work. Do you think they should be made whole for what they lost solely because of the mandates? And there's no right answer or wrong answer. It would just be nice to know what candidates are prepared to do and if they're prepared to really try to rectify this profound injustice that has been the vaccine mandates on the public sector workforce and on Canadians as a whole, again, who still can't uh, take up jobs in a lot of sectors, who can't board planes, trains, and, and so on and so forth. So these are, again, some of the issues, and I, I'm not claiming to have the monopoly on what matters to conservatives. I'm just talking about the fact that these are the substantive policy issues that desperately need to be injected into a leadership race and, and aren't under the debate that the party officially put forward. I know they have another French debate coming up on the 25th, but this is one of the reasons the Independent Press Gallery has put together its debate for May 30th, which I have the privilege of moderating, because we need to start showcasing some of these concerns that people are actually talking about. The people in our audience are messaging me saying, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And that's the goal here, to start talking about these things so that we can hold the eventual leader accountable. What, one of the big things, if I, if I go back in time a bit, one of the big things that I think worked against Aaron O'Toole in his leadership of the Conservative Party, especially during and after the election, was that he had put on the record some very decisive policies during the leadership race, these red meat, true blue conservative policies that he was not prepared to live up on in the general, like defunding CBC, like firearms rights, like conscience rights. So because he was forced to be on record in the leadership race, there was a record to hold him to account to when he was the leader. I don't even know if we got that out of the debate last week. I, and again, one, when I talk about clarity of answer, I, I have to give credit to Jean Charest here because this is a guy who clearly is not the favorite in the room. And I, I've never seen a room of conservatives in which he was the favorite in the race so far. If I look at in Ottawa and I look at in Edmonton, where he was the only candidate so far as I saw who, who got booed for something he said. And it was the same issue both times opposition to the Freedom Convoy, and specifically trying to criticize Pierre Polyev for supporting the convoy. And whatever you think of, Pierre, of Jean Charest's position, I, I have to say here, for him to own that, 
For him to come out and say, this is what I think, this is what I believe, I don't care what any of you in the room believe, I'm sticking to my guns here. I have to give him respect for that. And it was interesting because one thing that I thought of in that, well, if you think it's so bad for someone to support the convoy, if you think it's such a disqualifying thing, could you even vote for a candidate? Could you vote for this conservative party that you say is your home party? Could you vote for the conservatives if it meant casting a ballot for someone who was supportive of the convoy? This was the question I asked. Good evening, Andrew Lawton, True North. Uh, you've said that the convoy is an illegal blockade. Obviously, you've uh, been very open about your position and you've uh, distanced yourself from other candidates. Could you, in good conscience, vote for a candidate in your local riding that supported the convoy, given the comments you've made about how Mr. Polyev's support for the Freedom Convoy is, in your words, disqualifying? <laughs> and, Andrew, I'm glad you asked the question, because this whole story has parts to it. First part is, people do have a right to protest. There's, there should be no doubt in anyone's mind about that. A peaceful protest is part of democracy, and, and if someone knows about that because I've been on the other side of it in my lifetime, it's me. And I've never, ever questioned that. So that's the first part. Second part, you know, the whole mess is, was very much on Mr. Trudeau. I mean, all, how come this happened? I mean, and by the way, when you return to that whole story, it's just, I mean, it was incredible. How could the situation degenerate the way it did? It's uh, now that being said, that is not an excuse for those who go out there and support an illegal blockade. And when I'm saying that, I'm not trying to, I am not at all criticizing truckers and people who have their legitimate jobs to who we owe a lot because during this whole COVID period, they stepped up and they did their job. And they, they deserve nothing less than our very deep respect and gratitude. But illegal blockades at borders or anywhere else, especially borders, we lost hundreds of millions of dollars. Folks in the automotive industry questioned whether they should be investing in Canada. The American president had to call up Mr. Trudeau to ask him whether he needed an American intervention to clean up a blockade in Canada. That's embarrassing for us. My point is simple. If you have the privilege of being a member of parliament, you make laws, you change laws, you can't treat the laws of the land like a buffet table from which you choose what's popular, what's popular or not popular. And sometimes you have to resist that's leadership, what may be popular in the instant for what is a more fundamental principle. So I'm sorry if I went on longer than I usually do, and I certainly did in this debate, but uh, I was allowed time to do that. Thank you, Andrew. What, the blockade? Well, it's a hypothetical question. I mean, we'll, we'll get to, after I become leader, there'll be plenty of time to debate these things. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, it was kind of faint there because I didn't have, they, they took away my microphone, but the point of the ask is I was saying yes or no, could you vote for someone? And then that was when he said he, he wouldn't engage in a hypothetical. But again, answers it very clearly, very directly, says what he believes. And it's up to the members to then decide whether they agree with those beliefs or want to reward these beliefs. But that's the importance of this process. And I know I talked about it last week, but it is interesting how convoy support, who supported the convoy first, who supported it better, has become such a litmus test in this race. Oftentimes, Roman and Leslin and Pierre are all talking about their support and opposition of mandates, the truckers and all of that. And this has become so critical. Now, Patrick Brown's campaign sent out an email this morning 
which I, I have to share. I won't read the whole thing. And incidentally, I should say, it's not even clear when you're reading it that it is from Patrick Brown's campaign. It doesn't mention anywhere in it Patrick Brown's name. It's from a woman who identifies herself as Dion Duncan, who identifies as a Conservative Party member and a minority woman in the greater Toronto area. And she says, over the weekend, 10 people were murdered in a hate-motivated terrorist attack in Buffalo, New York. The murderer was motivated by white replacement theory, a racist white nationalist conspiracy theory. You might want to think that type of thinking doesn't exist here in Canada, but if you think that, you are wrong. Yesterday, after the Buffalo Shooters Manifesto was reported, a video of convoy leader Pat King spreading and justifying this vile, hateful conspiracy theory went viral. I need you to feel what I felt when I saw this, fear. She goes on about hate in Canada and how it has no place, and then says this, Pierre Polyev was asked to condemn so-called white replacement theory and anyone who believes it. It should have been easy for Pierre. A simple tweet would have worked, but he hasn't done it. A candidate who claims he wants to be Prime Minister of Canada will not condemn hate. She says we need to refuse those who play footsie with hate. She says that Pierre's silence is deafening. She says he won't vote to recognize Islamophobia. He won't condemn Pat King. And she says, what does it say about Pierre? That he wants to win your vote by making life less safe and less equal for minority women. She says, for me. And they're basically saying, the campaign, the Patrick Brown campaign, saying in this email, and you can read the whole thing, that they are putting at Pierre Polyev's feet packing, racism, hatred, white supremacy, the Buffalo shooting. They're saying that he's a white supremacist hate figure or he's playing footsie with white supremacists because he, he didn't tweet in response to Patrick Brown a, a condemnation of this attack. Now, I, I haven't followed this. I, I don't believe for a second that Pierre Polyev is pro-attack, that he's in support of what happened in Buffalo. What I believe is that when he's asked to condemn by Patrick Brown, it's because Patrick Brown's trying to suck him into this uh, whatever, this, this pissing match on Twitter, which obviously he's not going to get in on with Patrick Brown. Like, it, But the whole thing is ridiculous. And for all that Jean Charest and that side that tends to be against Pierre Polyev is saying that, oh, well, Pierre's tone is unbecoming of the Conservative Party. Well, now you have literally... Pierre being dragged into this and being maligned as a white supremacist sympathizer or as someone who's at least adjacent to white supremacy. And, and no one's concerned about that tone, about how the Conservative Party, whatever happens in this leadership race, moves beyond that. Seriously. She says he's silent on hate and the election will already be lost and it probably should be. So they're saying if Pierre wins, the Conservative Party is a hateful white supremacist uh, racket that doesn't deserve to exist doesn't deserve to win. Okay, that is what we call going nuclear. That is going scorched earth on it. And again, Patrick Brown, not the front runner in the race. Pierre Polyev is among them, Pierre and, and Jean Charest as well. Uh, so if this is what he thinks is going to be the strategy to get him across the finish line, then uh, go for it. But this is absolutely not an issue that is going to resonate with people, I don't think. And, and it's playing the left's game. And, and I, don't, I don't have a dog in this fight, by the way. I'm not supporting any leadership candidate. I've extended invitations to them all. I will criticize them and support them, as I've been doing even in this show, based on the merits of what they say and, and how they say it. I've been critical to Patrick Brown for not coming on this show, for not attending the Canada Strong and Free debate. 
I've had a lot of kind things to say about Jean Charest, who I disagree with on a lot, and Scott Aitchison because of how forthright they are. So when Patrick Brown comes out with this, and I look at this, and I'm saying, you're just playing the left's game. You're doing the left's work for them. Because now, when the election comes around, if Pierre Polyev is the leader, CBC will say, even Patrick Brown said no one should vote conservative because, well, if Pierre wins, they're just a, a racist white supremacist party. They're doing the left's work for them, and they don't even seem to care. Just before we go here, I had the chance to, at the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference, sit down with Scott Aitchison. This was uh, the day after the debate. It was great. I got to see uh, Leslie Lewis and Rowan Baber as I shared my chats with them in the previous show, and also Scott. Now, Scott, I should say, not a front runner in terms of name recognition, but has run a really policy-heavy campaign uh, that's touching on a lot of things like ending supply management, which I just so desperately wish other people would take up. I know it's like a strange hill to die on, but believe me, it's important. All of these free market people that were just twisting themselves into pretzels in Edmonton to say, well, well maybe we don't need a free market when we're talking about dairy and poultry, but everything else, free market. Uh, but also on foreign policy, which we touched on a little bit in this chat. So this is my interview recorded in Ottawa with Scott Aitchison. Joining me now is Conservative leadership candidate Scott Aitchison. Scott, good to talk to you again in, in person this time. I Great to be it. here, yeah. Thank you. So let's start with the debate last night. This was the first official opportunity that all of the, well, almost all of the candidates uh, were on stage together in this leadership race. I know there's a lot of prep that goes into it, but uh, looking back now with a, a day's hindsight, what was your feeling about it? Well, I spoke about it last night, actually, that there's a lot of division and a lot of rancor and sort of you know, visceral partisan rhetoric back and forth and attacks, and I think that that's actually bad for our party, it's bad for our politics, and I tried to, tried to lead by example, by being respectful, and, and I think we need to talk about ideas and not each other. Now, I mean, your approach, and we heard this in your opening statement, was, and I, I'm, I'm crudely paraphrasing it, but it was, can't we all get along? I mean, you were really pitching unity, and is that enough of a message? Well, not, not, certainly not for the whole race. I mean, I, I'm obviously talking about policy ideas as well. Last night, of course, you know, we were responding to questions, but the questions, uh, you know, seemed to lead to every other candidate talking about each other, uh, which was my point that, you know, we've got to stop attacking each other, start talking about ideas, and, you know, present those to Canadians in a way that uh, they can trust us to lead and govern. I know historically in leadership races or at the local level nomination races, you, you get these sometimes bare knuckle brawls, but they're always done respectfully. And at the end of it, everyone shakes hands and, and work together. Is your concern that that can't happen or won't happen after this race? No, I, it, it can happen, but we have to choose to make it happen. I used to say this all the time when I was mayor of Huntsville. I led a council that was engaged and, you know, we would have some knockdown, drag them out battles over issues in, in the council chamber, but we always would leave and uh, and we'd be friends. I would argue, you know, you can disagree without being disagreeable. We'd often go for a pint after the council meeting just to say, you know what, we can be on different sides of an issue, but at the end of the day, we're all here to move Huntsville forward. And that's the same, same thing here. We are all here. Every single candidate up there last night, uh, you know, they're not taking time away from their families and their lives to do this for the, you know, just the good of their health or for their entertainment value. They're here because they really truly believe in what they're doing. They want to make our party better. They want to make our country better. So we need to stop attacking each other uh, and focus on ideas. And that moves our party forward. It, it, it actually helps us expand the tent. And it helps us build trust with, you know, Canadians in those places where we haven't been winning and we need to win. What are the ideas that you feel need to be front and center in the race that aren't? Well, I think we need to be talking a little bit more about our foreign policy. 
uh, under the last seven years of the Trudeau government, I think Canada, we're a bit of an embarrassment on the world stage. Uh, we're not a reliable partner, and we need to be spending 2% of our GDP on, on our defense system. I mean, NATO. Right? We haven't lived up to our commitments in NATO uh, almost since the inception of the organization. Uh, and our, our allies are forming new partnerships and, and new alliances without us because we're just not showing up. Uh, and so we obviously need to spend more on defense and we need to have a more principled stand on uh, you know, issues like Huawei, for example. Uh, we need to ban Huawei. We've we got to stop dithering on these things. We've got to stand up to you know, countries like, the, like China and their, and their communist regime and their bullying. And you know, it's a security threat. We've got to stop dithering on these issues. We gotta, and so these are issues that I think conservatives can lead on and should be leading on. We should be talking about them. Canadians want to hear about these issues, but when we're just busy attacking each other, we're not talking about those ideas, and those are the things we need to be discussing. So just on the, on the defense funding there and, and NATO spending, do I take from that that an HSN budget brings defense up to 2% of Canada's GDP? Absolutely. And when you talk about Canadian leadership, I mean, Canada failed to secure a seat on the United Nations Security Council after relentless lobbying and campaigning by the Prime Minister on that. I know there was a, a story in Bloomberg some time ago about how the Prime Minister was trying to be the one to broker the EU-Northern Ireland uh, deal. And, and again, no one was taking the call. No one wanted Canada to play a role. Uh, the Foreign Minister, Melanie Jolie, has talked about how our place is convening, but no one seems to want to sit at the table. So how do you restore Canada's legitimacy on the foreign stage when uh, people have tried it. I mean, that was Justin Trudeau's big pitch. Canada's back. How do you do that, though? Yeah, but uh, Justin didn't really try it at all. He thought he could just charm the world with his name and, you know, and that would somehow do something. We have to be a reliable partner. I mean, we need to live up to our commitments in NATO. We need to live up to our commitments in, on foreign aid. These are, these are you know, countries that are going to rely on Canada, and if they can't rely on Canada, no, mat no matter how much charm offensive Justin Trudeau does around the world, they're not going to care. And so principal leadership and building the relationships that we need to build around the world. Prime Minister Mulroney was a master at it. He, he built relationships with world leaders uh, all over the globe. And Canada had a really valuable presence and a voice in the world when he was prime minister because of the power of his personal relationships. Uh, you know, I, I, we got we to gotta, we gotta back up what we say with real dollars, real investment. We got to stop playing games with procurement for our military. Uh, the whole procurement for, for, for fighter jets has been a joke. It's been an embarrassment. Uh, you know, the, the, the process to try to get the shipbuilding strategy up and going. Thankfully, Prime Minister Harper started that program and now it's going. We need to maintain that now. Uh, I, I tell people, you know, it's not rocket science actually. Well, in some cases, maybe it is rocket science, but this is really no different than a municipal mayor uh, putting together a, a, a procurement plan for a fire truck. You know, I don't argue with the fire chief on how many pumps that truck needs. He tells me what we need to serve the needs of our community, tells me it's going to cost this much money and I need it by this date. And so we part, put money away, prepare for it, get ready, and have a, we have a whole plan to replace that vehicle when the time comes. It's a capital asset management plan. Let's take the politics out of it and just get it done. You mentioned China earlier. What would you take as your position on Taiwan, which has been, in a lot of cases, a very a sticking point where no one in the world, I should say few people in the world, are prepared to really deal with this head on? Well, I think it's time for us to be honest. I mean, the one China policy uh, is, it, it's not really true. It's not, it's not happening. Taiwan is a vibrant, democratic country. It's a, you know, it's a market country, capitalist country. Um, we need to we need to recognize Taiwan for the for the the, the beacon of freedom that it is, uh, and and I think it's time for us to recognize them. I, you know, Taiwan has 
said they would like to be members of, of the World Health Organization. Um, I, I think we need to recognize that. It's time for us to, to, to stop sort of dancing around that. Uh, that's another way that we, Canada can have a principled stance in the world. We, if, if we're going to be champions of freedom, then let's stand up for those countries that are crying out for their own freedom. Now, would, would that basically be recognizing Taiwan as an independent sovereign state? Yes, absolutely. Is that a position that would be disqualifying to a large section of voters? I mean, we saw in the last election how uh, there were concerns by some of your former colleagues uh, that Chinese influence campaigns were being run against people for their positions. I don't think that leaders take positions based on the politics of it. Leaders do what's right, even when it's hard. Another foreign policy question. Would you uh, relocate Canada's embassy in Israel to Jerusalem? Absolutely. Israel is a most vibrant democracy. It's the, it's the only democracy in the Middle East. Uh, it's a vibrant, multicultural nation. Uh, they are an important ally of, of Canada's. Jerusalem is the capital, and absolutely, our, our, our embassy should be there. I, I know the interim leader, Candace Bergen, in her video remarks this morning, mentioned uh, that a flat tax is a policy that would be a legitimate, viable conservative policy. And I don't want to write your platform for you, but have you given any thought to some of these larger structural issues that deal in, in the tax system? Yeah, we'll have a lot more to say about tax in the, in the coming days. Obviously, uh, what I have talked about so far is eliminating the carbon tax. Um, uh, fundamentally, this comes down to affordability for Canadians. That's, that's I think, the most important issue we need to address. And, uh, and if there are changes we can make to our tax system to help make life more affordable for Canadians, we need, need to seriously look at that. I find that, I mean, in the past, this was something that the Conservative government under Stephen Harper did with a lot of the boutique tax credits, which certainly make for good politics, but at the end, I, I don't feel they simplify the tax system for, for large sections of Canadians. Is that something that you'd like to see, a, a tax system that's a lot simpler? Yeah, simpler, but, it, but we really do need to do a proper review of it, right? It, it, this is, uh, you, you don't make tax policy, I think, on, on the fly. I think uh, some thorough analysis and some, you know, some real work going into it. Uh, and some thoughtful discussion about it is important. So I guess one thing I'd ask you, just while you're here uh, looking around at this conference, we haven't had one in the last two years uh, because of COVID. What's your assessment of the state of the Conservative movement right now? Well, I think there's, uh, there's some fault lines, but I think uh, that's one of the reasons why it's important for us to talk about coming together. I, I, I said over and over again that unity isn't uniformity. We don't all have to agree. We don't have to all believe the same thing. We have to listen to each other. We have to respect each other. Uh, and I, I think conservatives, the movement, is they're, they're craving that conversation. Uh, I was chatting with the organizers yesterday and, and they, they, uh, they didn't just sell out, they oversold. Uh, it's great. It's great to see as many people here as, are, as there are. Uh, they they want to have that conversation. I think that those of us running in the, in the leadership race should respect that and have a conversation instead of attacking each other. Scott Aitchison, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks. Scott Aitchison at the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference. And I should put in another plug. On May 30th, the Independent Press Gallery of Canada is hosting a conservative leadership debate. I'll be moderating. And we'll also have a, a panel of journalists, including Sheila Gunn-Reed, Derek Fildebrandt, and Rupa Subramanya, asking questions of the candidate that we hope will be of interest to those of you tuning in and, in general, supporters of independent media. And we're doing it on May 30th because it's before the membership cutoff. So people that aren't conservative 
Conservative Party of Canada members can hear what they uh, candidates have to say and decide if they want to join and participate in the process a bit further or just, again, just watch for the sake of watching, which I think is also important to do, even if you don't plan on, on voting for the people. So that's coming up May 30th. And if you want to, you can go get tickets to see it in person. It's going to be in the uh, Toronto area and you'll be able to watch it online if not, but uh, that's at independentpressgallery.ca. And with that, I have to bid you adieu, but we have some big announcements coming up for something I'm working on for later this week. So we'll talk about that on the next show. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the week. Otherwise, this is Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.